Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You have a willingness to be shockingly honest. You just kind of tell it like it is, and so do we. It takes a different breed of cat to do what you do. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Phil. This is Phil in the Blanks, which you know, and I am really excited about today's guest for a lot of reasons, and I'll just start telling you about it. Nikki Glazer is my guest today. Let me tell you, this is one of the funniest female voices in comedy today, and you've probably seen her because she's been hitting the clubs for over a decade across the country. She's the host of three hit podcasts. She has been honing her shockingly honest, no holes barred style of comedy. And she has a brand new daily show, the Nikki Glazer podcast, which launched in March of last year through iHeartMedia and Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network. It is a daily companion podcast that is peppered with Nikki's sense of humor and honesty. And when I say honesty, you're going to get a taste <laughs> of that here in just a few minutes. It helps to keep listeners sane, well-informed, and really laughing through life when sometimes you just need to have something that lifts you up. She's currently on her nationwide comedy tour, One Night with Nikki Glaser, and she has her own series on E! Welcome Home, Nikki Glaser, which will see her move out of Hollywood kind of like everybody else, to return to where she grew up, which is St. Louis. It premieres May 1st on E! So make sure you check it out. Now, that's on E! And it's May 1st. And I wanted to get this done because I wanted to tell you about it. I have seen an episode. I've seen trailers. And (laughs) I've had a chance to spend time with Nikki lately. And Nikki, how are you? I'm so good. It's so good to be here and um, and to hear all of that from you. I, I, I've been a fan for a really long time, and it was so fun getting to meet you recently and really get to hang out on, on the Kelly Clarkson show. That's, that's who brought us together, and I thank her for that. <laughs> yeah, we had fun, and you're currently doing a 40-city tour. How many have you done so uh, far? Right now, well, it's been going since last year. We had uh, stopped because I had to go film F Boy Island season two, which is on HBO Max. But um, I'm I'm back at it, and I'm like, f- I do like three cities uh, a weekend, so I think it's been two weeks. So it's probably we're uh, probably seven shows in. It's wild. I mean, it's just Thursday, Friday, Saturday, different city each night. Sometimes two shows, meet and greets in between. It's really fun though. Well, for some reason, some of my best friends are comedians. Steve Harvey. Ron White, Jeff Foxworthy, a lot of these guys are my best friends that I hang out with a lot. And 
it takes a different breed of cat to do what you do. <laughs> yes, it does. I, I like that. It makes sense to me, though, that why you're friends with comedians, because you just kind of tell it like it is. And so do we. And that's, I think, our kind of superpower. But I do believe that all comedians and I don't know, I would like to hear your take on this. It comes from a place, at least for me, of not feeling loved. And so I need to perform and hear back constantly validation like we like you ha 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 ha. it's not like I play a song for four minutes and then applause at the end it's I need laughs and validation every five seconds um and so I think it comes it came from a place for me at least of of just wanting to be seen wanting to be loved from strangers anywhere I could get it and uh thank god for that though thank god for my low self-esteem as a, as a child well <laughs> it made let's me talk about out. that because I said when I was introducing this that <laughs> there were a lot of reasons that I was really excited about doing this. And one is, I think you're a huge talent, and I think you do oh, a great you. job on stage. But what I love about you is you have no filter. <laughs> I kid you not, guys. What you see with Nikki is what you get. She has no edit button and <sighs> is willing to be totally authentic. It's not like, hey, I miss glamorous Hollywood We'll talk about your new show in a minute, Welcome Home, Nikki Glaser. But you have a willingness to be completely, shockingly honest mm -hmm. about everything. But at the same time, you say, I'm like really insecure and need feedback every five seconds. But yet you have the courage to be totally, completely honest. To me, that's yeah. a contradiction. Well, I think now I... I, I, I do have self-esteem now. I had to hit some really low lows during the pandemic that brought me to a realization that I was kind of dependent on stand-up and that validation every night to, to be complete, to, to not have to be alone with my thoughts, to feel loved, to feel worthy. And then when it was taken from me, I had to actually kind of look at stuff and do some work. And so now I feel that I'm compelled to go on stage now to, to share, to make people laugh, to make people feel less alone. Like my compulsion for doing it is different than when I started, but I do believe that I felt as a child so just innately gross, wrong, uh, you know, why was I even born? There's nothing special about me. I just, I, I really hated myself and I don't know why, but I just did. And I think when I found stand-up, I found something that really, I could talk about those dark feelings and make make something of them. You know, it was just too dark. How did you do share. that, though? How did you go from feeling like, okay, I don't mm -hmm. fit anywhere, I don't have a peer group, I don't fit in, I'm not what I want to be, to having the courage to get in front of an audience and tell your first joke, your first set, your first <laughs> two minutes? Yeah, well, to tell you the truth, I was um, about to die of anorexia. I had just, uh, you know, committed to like kind of committing suicide in a really slow way that just took over my life. And I was at school and co I was in college. I had convinced my parents I was well enough to leave and go off. And I was just going to die because I didn't know what to do. I had no I, I had I had no willingness to be open to my life uh, to eating again because I just didn't see what I was going to live for. I always wanted to be an actress. I wasn't good at acting. I didn't get into theater school. I, all the things I wanted to be didn't happen for me. I got really good at, at dieting and which turned into something that I could not control any longer. And my life was hell, you know, like starving all day and not knowing how to stop everyone being mad at me. But when I went to college, I was so scary looking. I, I looked so... <laughs> 
terribly thin and everyone was so worried about me. I had to create a person. I had to just like make myself larger than life so that I could make friends. I had to, I was so, I didn't want anyone to be worried about me anymore, but I couldn't gain weight. So I'd wear baggy clothes and I was just funny. I just laid into like, look over here, not here. And then I started hearing, you should be a comedian. And I was just desperate for anything. So I just, I Googled female comedian. I saw, saw some like comedians that I just, I just thought, oh my God, they're just being so honest. And I think my problem was like, I wasn't, I'd never been able to be really honest about the stuff I struggled with. And I thought maybe this is an outlet. And then I ended up being pretty good at it. And it was the first thing that I was like, oh, I have a knack for this. And so the first time I went on stage, I just made a decision. I got to figure out this eating disorder because I finally have something I, I want to live for. And so I started, you know, I just sought treatment. And then, you know, I got, I got over anorexia, but then it just turned into a many other eating disorders that were more manageable and less noticeable over the course of 20 years. <laughs> so you, know. you just had symptom substitution. You just switched them for other things. Oh yeah. That's all I do. Dr. Phil. I, I, you know, I quit drinking 10 years ago. Then I smoked pot. Then I quit smoking pot. Then I start getting in the food. I was bulimic. I've been, you know, intermittent fasting, which I call adult anorexia. I, I've, I've tried everything. And then I think when the pandemic hit, that's when I was like, you got you, you and then workaholism like I just was doing podcasts and sets every single night like I never was home alone I was never alone and when the comedy clubs were taken from me in March 2020 I just I got desperate and that's when I really sought out recovery for uh my suicidal thoughts my um overall depression and and really my my eating disorder that I had turned into this like very manageable thing that I talked about openly but really didn't get that honest about and since then the recovery of that has opened up this new honesty for me because I think that I always thought I was a very honest person sharing about my sex life I mean that's kind of what I'm known for is like oh my god she just talks so openly about her sex life I I don't know I think that's a rebellion because my parents didn't talk about sex so that's me going well I'm gonna get on stage and talk about it and I was always very scared of sex I was I didn't I talk about sex all the time in my act, but I didn't lose my virginity till I was 21. I was, I didn't have a boyfriend till I was 24. And then like, didn't have a boyfriend that didn't have another girlfriend till I was 29. I mean, these are, th I, I talk about things that I'm scared of. And, um, but now I feel, I actually feel like I can be completely honest now, which is almost scary because you always want something in your back pocket that you're holding on to, to be like, this is my truth. But I'm kind of just, I just, I, I'm not, there's nothing shameful about my, my life anymore. And if there is, it's okay. Like I can, I can handle, I can handle letting people know. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, see, I always felt like I was pretty authentic. Now you're making me feel like a real chicken shit. <laughs> <laughs> It's it comes with uh you know your family being embarrassed on your behalf. It comes with partners not really wanted to, wanting to be uh, vulnerable with you because they don't want you to uh, say stuff about them. I mean, I've done a, I've had a lot of missteps of you know I'm comfortable sharing my sex life, so why wouldn't the person I'm doing this with? I can't share my sex life unless I implicate them. Well, they don't want it, it, it to be implicated, so it's I I'm still learning how to not tell everything because I just don't I just don't care what people know yeah well you got to change the names to protect the guilty is what you got to do it sucks though when I like my boyfriend now I'm like but what if we get married I can't every time I talk about this guy I'm seeing people are gonna be like well you're married what are you talking about <laughs> you know <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I just have to get better about, I have to get creative, you know? If you can't talk about a certain subject, you just got to talk about other things. And, and I'll, I'll make do because I, I think I've really kept myself from intimate relationships because I'm like, I'm an artist. I need to share everything. And if you can't stand it, then get out. But it's yeah. just led me to be, that's just a defense mechanism to not get close to anyone more than anything. Well, what happened to you during the pandemic? The comedy clubs oh. closed. You had to spend a lot of time with yourself. Did you really start spending too much time with yourself and things started creeping up on you? What happened? Yeah, it was, well, I was living in New York and LA back and forth, so busy all the time. And I was getting ready to kind of maybe go to rehab or something because I was just exhausted. I was about to have a show on E, not the one I'm having now. The one I have now is a reality show. This was going to be a talk show. And I wasn't, it was coming out in May. I had wasn't even, I wasn't ready for it. It was going, it was t 10 episodes. I didn't have t enough time with my tour and my podcast and my radio show to even commit to making the show good. So I was so nervous about that. And I remember begging, please, can something just take me out of this? Like I wanted to collapse from a d exhaustion, but I, it wasn't happening. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, thank God, I don't have to do that. But then I had nowhere to, I was, I already knew I, I didn't want to be alone. I had my own apartment, but I just said, I'm just going to go hang out in St. Louis with my parents and stay at their place. What a great opportunity to just hang out with them. And that turned into 10 months. I just never wanted to leave because I was too uh, scared of being alone. And also I had no, I, I, it made me realize like, this is when I could really use a husband or a partner or uh, it is during a worldwide pandemic where I don't want to be alone and I want comfort. I want to touch someone. And I felt, I looked at, I remember one morning was the day it dawned on me. I woke up and I looked in my bed. I had been eating, binging all night in bed. And I looked and I was like, there's never going to be a man in your bed or whatever you want in your bed because there's wrappers in your bed and you have to wake up every morning and collect all these. It's like, that was the moment I was like, this, this is why I'm living with my parents at 35. When I have the money to live on my own, this is it. This eating, this eating issue you have, you finally need to look at it. It's so loud. You can't distract yourself from it anymore. And that's when I just decided to give up and just do what someone else told me to do, which is not easy. <laughs> yeah, of course. But when you had that time by yourself, what did you think about? What did you talk to yourself about? Were you Thinking about everything you had been through? Were you thinking about where you were going to go? What creeped up on you during that time? Because this happened to a lot of people. They'll forget me. They'll, um, if I'm not doing stand-up every night. Well, this thing, well, stand-up was always the thing 
that us comedians, if we don't get our Seinfeld TV show, if we don't get our our movie deals, if we don't turn into Eddie Murphy, like you still have stand up. It's this thing that they can't take from you because there's always the club circuit. And then suddenly it was like, whoa, this can be taken from you too. What else do I have? And I felt um, the the thoughts that crept in were you are going to get bad. Uh, you know, it was always something, it was like not being able to go to the gym and you're training for the Olympics. Uh, you know, if you're not getting on stage every night, you start, your your talents start to atrophy. And so there was this thing of, I'm not going to be good anymore. They're going to forget me. I'm going to be much older by the time I get out of this. And, uh, you know, the, Hollywood isn't thrilled by women aging. And there was, and there was also, you fucking loser. You don't have the excuse of living with your parents because you don't have money because, you know, your landlord kicked you out. This is your you're choosing. You have a great apartment in New York that you could live in. You're doing this because you're scared, just like you slept on your parents floor when until eighth grade because you were scared of nuclear war. Like all of these fears started coming back of like, I'm still a child. What am I not looking into? And I just I just had to look at. Uh, I, I I don't know. I just, those were the thoughts and I was crying all the time and just, you know, I would appear on different, I was like on Bill Maher via Zoom. I was on Conan via Zoom, like in my parents' house. It was wild and my parents are lovely and I was so lucky that I even got to be with them. But I would sob and cry after these appearances. I would shut my laptop and just think like, you missed out. Like you didn't do that one joke. That joke would have been hilarious. That one thing Conan said, you didn't tag it. Like I would just be riddled with regrets and my parents were giving each other that look that I saw them give each other when I was four and throwing a tantrum in the car because my Barbie's hair wasn't perfect of she's crazy. And I was like, yeah, I'm cr I'm losing it. So I just had to I, I started praying. My parents are atheists. I was raised in a household where it's like we don't believe in God. Praying isn't a thing. And I got down on my knees at one point because I just didn't know what to do. I had to ask that's what like when you start praying, you know, and I remember my mom walked in on me praying and I swear to God, it was like worse than her walking in on me masturbating because to, to my parents praying is like, what are you doing? <laughs> you got so I, 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 I chased her out like, it's not what you, it's not what you thought, mom. It's not, I was uh, filleting a ghost. That's why I was <laughs> bent down on my knees next to the bed. She's like, what are you talking about? So it was, it, 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 I was just desperate. I just got to a bottom, you know, that was what it was. You and I were talking the other day and. I said, I don't have the need to be loved by strangers. And you were saying, yeah. oh, my God, really? Because I do. <laughs> yes. Do you have the need for people to know you're successful? Because you do a lot of things that people probably don't know. You're right, Dr. Phil. I do so much um, all the time. But I'm not like someone who brags about it or who posts about it. Like I sometimes look at my life and I'm like, God, you did so much stuff this week. So many cool TV things, met so many people. Why aren't you posting about this to share it? I think I do it because I need, it's for my parents kind of. I want them to be proud of me. I'm always telling my, my parents are kind of like my, my the ones that I brag to th about to, to about these things. I want them to be proud of me. I think getting on TV was a way to get their attention in a way that I maybe didn't feel I got as a child. I always, my mom watched TV a lot. So I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll just get up there to get you to like care about what's going on in my life like you do the housewives. So I think that was a, a reason for it. How did you get your first TV thing? I auditioned for Last Comic Standing when I was a senior in college. I had been doing stand-up comedy for four years. I, start, I first went on stage my freshman year, 
And then I just started going to comedy clubs and doing open mics and just really became obsessed with it and thought, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and then my friend's last comic standing, that show on NBC was auditioning in Chicago. I was going to school in Kansas and me and a bunch of like, you know, 30 something year old male comics rented a van and drove to Chicago, waited out in the snow. And I went on, st I knew that I was bad and shouldn't be competing on last comic standing. Like I knew I was two, I was two or three years in like this. No, I always knew my place. I was never like, give me a chance. I just, I knew it was going to, I told my dad, I need financial support for seven years. Give me seven years and then you can take it away. But like, if you can, I got, cause you can't get good in three years. But I auditioned and all I wanted to hear was them being like, you're young, but you have promise, which is what they said. But then I was, wa I was walking off the stage. I don't know who this girl was. I was walking off the stage and one of the judges said to the other, I really liked her. And then another one goes, I mean, I could be convinced. And I just, I heard that. I ran back up the stage and I said, do you want to hear another joke? And they were like, okay. And then I told another joke and they go, okay, Nikki, we'll see you tonight. So I went to the competition in Chicago. And then from there, I got asked to go to LA and be on Last Comic Standing semifinals. And that was my first like TV thing. Were your parents proud? Oh my God, yes. They're proud of everything. I mean, they're, they're proud. They're so, the, the, the biggest thing now is I'm talking to Dr. Phil. I'm on his podcast and I got to hang out with him at the Kelly Clarkson show. They celebrate all of my all of my little wins and they're always so excited but you know I'm on TV all the time because I just do stuff all the time and they get so mad when they're like you didn't tell us you were going to be on this tonight and uh, I just forget sometimes but I did have that realization recently of like what am I what what's going to be my reason for doing stuff when they're gone because it still is that like look at this thing I drew put it on the refrigerator uh, I really am I recently told my boyfriend, I go, you got to start like watching everything I do and telling me how beautiful and talented I am because I, I, that's really a reason I do this is for my loved ones to feel, get to, you know, to celebrate me. Well, that's not unhealthy though. The fact that yeah. the people in our lives that we wanted to be proud of us is not unhealthy. Yeah. Okay, good. You don't think it is, do you? No, I just feel like, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that thinks, if I didn't have that going on, what would it? I, I, yeah, I guess there's a part of me of of what would I be bringing to the table? I don't have kids. My sister has kids. Like this is my thing, and that I got to keep it coming. And and but I also they're so talented and funny that it was the greatest thing that I could do was creating this reality show that was born of me living at home and being at my parents and being like, what do I, what am I gonna do next? And I'm like these these guys are hilarious. I was putting them on my Instagram and everyone was like more EJ and Julie. So I I'm so grateful now that I am in a position where I was like, okay, let's do a show and, and E bought it. And now my parents are going to get to, my dad's always been a performer and never really pursued it because of just wanting to be able to support a family and not take on this risky business. But now he's going to be, people are going to see how talented he is. It's very exciting. Give it up for Nikki Glazer, everybody. I was well on my way to becoming one of the most successful female comics working today. And then the pandemic hit. So I moved back to my hometown of St. Louis. I never get recognized in this town. I'm Nikki Glazer. You're going to get canceled for this. I don't touch shit, I'm touching mulch. I'm able to spend time with my family. How did you ever survive this terrible I childhood? I became survive. a comedian. <laughs> and my ex-boyfriend just so happened to recently move back to St. Louis, too. Did you go on a date here? Yeah. I just didn't want to catch feelings, but I caught them anyway. If we get back together, we should just get engaged. 
So who knows? Maybe St. Louis is home now. That is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my well, life. Oh, Mom, I have a boyfriend. Get used to it. Welcome home, Nikki Glaser. Series premiere May 1st, only on E. You did eight episodes, right? Yes, yes. So describe um, it and tell people what they're going to see. Well, May 1st on E, they're going to see a two-episode premiere of Welcome Home, Nikki Glazer, which is um, about me moving back home to St. Louis. And it's it's not going to be filled with the kind of maybe drama that you want and the, the you know, the fighting and the, the those explosive episodes. But you're going to get real honesty and just a family that loves each other, that is... Uh, figuring out how to communicate and uh, me who is trying to begin a relationship again with her ex-boyfriend who also moved back to St. Louis at the same time. So it's very interesting that this show kind of, it wasn't something I orchestrated. It really, the camera showed up and I said, okay, well, this is my life right now. This isn't kind of the show I pitched, but this is what's going on with me right now. Okay. And, and I really, I made it, I did everything I could to make it as an honest representation of my life as possible. So you, what you're seeing is really my life and the state of my room and everything else. <laughs> you were telling me the other day, you said, you thought, okay, I need to clean up my room. And you thought, no, no. not going to do it. No. I think that so much of my lack of self-esteem as a child, I was obsessed with pop culture, obsessed with celebrities. I would have done someone's... Celebrities could have done such a service for me if they would have just shown their imperfections a little bit more. And so I feel it is my duty to show it like it really is because there's nothing that makes you feel better than seeing someone's bathroom that's a mess that you might project some perfection onto and go, well, at least I'm not that. Or, oh my God, she does that too. I'm just trying to give the gift that I really could have used as a young girl who just judged myself so harshly and continue to do so. Um... And so I, it was really an experiment in me trying to put myself out there in a way that might make me cringe, you know, at times being like, oh, come on, you, you couldn't have put on a different, you couldn't have put on some under eye concealer there. But it's, it's a test uh, of me being okay with myself and me being okay that people might not be okay with the person I'm putting out there. But I love her. She's trying her best and she means well. And I, I believe that for myself now. I don't have this sneaking suspicion that I'm a bad person like I always had before. I think I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty well-intentioned. So if you had to say, what are the five things you're most proud of yourself about you as a person? What would you say? Oh, I would definitely say um, spreading authenticity, uh, being really, and, and helping my podcast fans really get honest about their selves. I would say conquering my eating disorder, being being very generous with my uh, opportunities and wealth that I have been so lucky to have, and um, just being uh, and 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 being curious and being able to be wrong. I think as comedians, a lot of times we just you know nobody can take a joke. I'm just joking, and I think that I. I like that I have gotten to a place where I can embrace that I get it wrong a lot of times. Like I am not giving TED talks. Like I'm not presenting facts and I'm okay if someone gets offended by something I say because I look to learn and, and to become a better person and, and make mistakes. And I just hope that, you know, I can be forgiven for those and not canceled and just like, you know. So I think that my biggest accomplishment though is uh, really overcoming my my mental issues of like my low self-esteem and, and being open 
two new tools. But honestly, my eating disorder, getting that, being two years over, it'll be two years, uh, April 26th, of not starving myself, not uh, binging, not exercising for to burn calories. Do Being able to say that is, I mean, I suffered with an eating disorder for 20 years and never once went a, a week without starving myself or overeating to the point where I was sick. And so now that I... If I can do it, anyone can do it. And so I think that's my biggest accomplishment because it's opened up a whole new world to me just in these past two years of that. And I think, um, yeah, that's that's probably been my biggest one. And it's not one I really talk about that much because it's so personal and so messy. And But um, I just I like to say that because I always thought when I would hear people talk about recovering from eating stuff, like, no, theirs is recoverable. Mine's not. I'm special. And I'm telling you, if anyone out there is struggling with any kind of eating issues, it you can recover because you're not you are special, but you're not special. You're not uniquely terminal like of you're the one that's not going to get cured. You can there's it, it's possible. I get asked sometimes when people watch what I do, they say, do you really think problems are as simple as you make them out to be? I don't think problems are simple at all. I think problems are complex. I think they're multi-sided and multi-layered, but I think the solutions are often simple. Hmm. The problems are often really complex, but the solutions can sometimes be as simple as waking up every day and making a different choice about how you start the day and when you choose A instead of B, then that leads to C instead of D. We have the ability to change the narrative in our life. We can change our own story. We can write a different script for ourselves. The only person we can control is ourselves, and that's the only person we have to control is ourselves. But <laughs> I think sometimes we think we're passengers and we're not. We get to choose what we do and what we don't do. Sometimes there's neurology and not just psychology, but that too, you can choose to do something about that. Mm. And I'm so glad to hear you say to people, you can do this. You're not the one that can't be fixed. I always thought I was the one. I, I just thought I'm different and, you know, I can't eat three meals a day. I'll be the size that I don't want to be. And you're really right, Dr. Phil. Like the problem is so much more than just food for me. But you know what my solution was? One day I had to wake up and I had to eat breakfast. Oh no, breakfast. The thing that every woman skips, every person's, the thing that we know is the most important meal, but do we, it's like, I, as a, I don't know any of my friends who eat breakfast. Everyone skips breakfast. And for me, I hadn't eaten breakfast in 20 years. Why am I going to eat a meal that I'm not even hungry for? And one day I was just like, well, let's see if you binge tonight if you feed yourself all day let's just see I'm just gonna I think I still will because I think the binge is not about being hungry it's about I'm feeling things and I like binging let me just feed myself all day I'll just trust because I'm out of options you know I, I let me just do it and I can always go back to the way I was doing and, and I woke up one day so hard to do ate breakfast ate a full lunch wasn't trying to diet wasn't trying to skimp and you know, that 11 o'clock hour comes around where I used to get in bed with all my protein bars and all my diet foods that I would just like start munching on and go throughout the whole night. And I wasn't hungry for them. And I made it through that night. Then the next morning, I make myself eat breakfast again. It really was a simple step that I just thought. And and I'll tell you, like, I 
am a thin woman and I think I'm naturally built that way, but I, I never really knew what my body was. I was starving it before I was 18. I always thought that if I ate normal, it w- I wouldn't have the body I wanted. And the thing is, y- 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 I promise you, you can eat like a normal person and you don't have to do, I always needed less because I'm less. I always have to restrict. I don't get to, I don't get to have pleasure. I have to suffer for my pleasure. It was all connected to these beliefs that I just was open to trying something new and not thinking I had it all figured out. And that was the real trick of being like, I'll just try this other way. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. I was talking about this with somebody recently. We get in these comfort zones and we tell ourselves, okay, at least this is the devil I know, but our comfort zones aren't really comfortable at all. They're just familiar. And that doesn't mean we like it, but what people tell me is the biggest fear they have is the risk not of failing, but of succeeding and having to keep it up. It's like, okay, I did something different and I got to a new level. Now there's so much pressure to keep myself here. And that's what people worry about. It's like, okay, now everybody's going to expect me to stay better, be better, keep doing differently. Well, I don't think those people understand that when, you know, like if I'm talking about eating disorder, I was saying this to a friend recently. I know that eating three meals a day is going to be tough for you because you starve all day. But guess what? You're already doing something really tough. You're starving yourself all day. Remember when you first started doing that? How fucking hard that was to do? Yeah. Can't you maybe put yourself in the shoes of the, like, this will not be hard for you someday. This new way. It has to become habitual. So it's going to challenge yourself to do a hard thing. And then I promise you over time, because the way you're living where you're suffering now, it may seem easy. Like you said, it's the devil, you know, but it's hard and it only got easy because you did it a bunch. So just just know that you'll get to that place with this new heart thing. And if you don't, we'll forgive you and you can start over whenever you want. It's only one day at a time. Sometimes I go, it's one minute at a time. Just don't go. Don't binge for the next two minutes, Nikki. And I go play a song on my guitar. I write a journal page. This one day at a time stuff, I go, days a hard, that's a long time. I, I take it literally two minutes at a time and just go, okay, set the timer for two minutes. If you don't want to go back to that bag of chips for two minutes, you can go back after two minutes if you still want to. And then I start doing something else. And then sometimes I don't want to. And sometimes I do. And I go back and at least I gave myself that time. Do you think you're ever totally relaxed? Uh, no, even massages. I don't get, I don't get massages. Cause if I do get totally relaxed afterwards, I feel like they like are like, okay, get out of here. And I feel like, well, aren't we going to talk and cuddle? Like, I just feel <laughs> if I get, let myself totally relax, there's always an ending. And I fear the ending. I'm a pleasure delayer. Dr. Phil, when I was a kid, Christmas presents, I wouldn't want to open them. I would want to be the last to open them. I don't like, I mean, if I orgasms, I push off uh, food. I always want to be the last to get my food. I get, I start getting depressed on the first day of vacations. Cause I know that the end is now coming. Like I love the buildup. So uh, for me, relaxation means, okay, now that it's starting, this can't last forever. Uh, uh Oh, already start fearing the end. But you can do it again. 
you can relax <laughs> 10 minutes at 8 o'clock in the morning and then 10 minutes again at noon and then 10 minutes again at 5. It's a good reminder. You can do this on a regular basis and it lasts for hours. It's a good reminder. And I have to remind myself of that with food too because I always go, oh, this meal's almost over. And I go, you'll be hungry again in four to seven hours, girl. Like it's going to happen. And I just, sometimes you forget that there'll be another chance. Um, I guess it's just... I don't like to reward myself unless there's pain first, unless I earned it. And I think one thing I'm trying really hard to do now is just you, I deserve good things just because I exist, not because I suffered first. Just because I I don't have to always suffer. Uh, But I just, there's something in me that feels like I can't have good things unless I've, I, I can't have dessert unless I worked out. Like it's really hard for me to not have this, you know, punishment afterwards or before something good. Well, I have to think about this, right? You said pleasure delayer. Yeah. I don't want it to come because it means it's going to end. Christmas Eve is the best. Christmas day sucks. Cause you're like, Oh, I got to go back to school in five days. Christmas Eve though. It's like everything's anything could happen. But Christmas day, I would always be very depressed for some reason. Christmas Eve is, the, is still the best. The day before my birthday, my birthday sucks. Cause it's like, Oh, tomorrow it's not my birthday, but May 31st it's tomorrow. What is that? But it's renewable. See, you can replace it. Sam Jackson talks about the day he starts working on a movie, he realizes he's working himself out of a job. <laughs> he says, he tells his agent, when I start working on a movie, you better have two lined up for me the day I start on this one so oh, I good. don't ever have to worry that I'm working myself out of a job because I just know I'm getting to the next one instead of working myself out of this one. Reward is renewable. And I ah. look at all the stuff that you've done. Oh, my God. You've always got something else that you move on it's to. You stopping. don't ever stop. No. I say, I, you know, I remember seeing Joan Rivers say, like, I say yes to everything. And, I mean, it killed her in the end. Like, she she just was exhausted. But I, I think there's something in me also that knows that I became successful because I worked so hard. I, I might not be – I didn't come out – of the womb making people laugh. I think humor was something that I had a knack for, but I wasn't an expert at when I first started. Obviously, it just takes, I, I'm a big believer in practice and, and the more you put in, the more you get out. So every time I say no, I go, oh, someone else is saying yes and they're going to get better than me and then I'm going to be forgotten and then I'm not going to be able to afford to take care of my parents if they get some disease. Like it all, it, I just start spiraling with what that could, like I'm failing if I say no. It's hard for you to let something go by, to turn something oh, down. Oh, yes. Yes, it, it is. I've gotten better at saying no, but it is always a struggle. And I always feel like, you know, that person's going to be mad at me. They're not going to ask me the next time or, you know, I'm so going to. That's why you're doing my podcast. That's what you're telling no, me. No, 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 no. This is a labor of love. This is, I, I would have not done this had I not been in the right state of mind to do it. I, because I'm getting better about knowing that sometimes I show up to things and I'm not, I'm too tired. I'm not going to be good. I'm burnt out. And every, that's suffer. It'd be better if I didn't do it. But there's always that voice in my head that says, what if 
the one viewer that makes E give me a second season is the one woman who is listening to me on Dr. Phil and said, I'm going to support this lady. And so what if I didn't do his podcast and then I missed that one voice? And this isn't just your podcast. This is everything of like, I might miss that one person who might either change my life or I'll change their life by saying something they needed to hear. And yeah, there's just always the what ifs. Yeah, but you can't do every pie supper in America. I mean, everybody <laughs> says, hey, I got six ladies coming over tonight. Can you come over? Because I've gotten those invitations that, hey, can you come speak? Look, you could stay at our house and then you can oh, speak yeah. tomorrow from two to five. It includes dinner. They don't really get the fact that I kill for 15 minutes of downtime. And yes. I'm sorry, I can't drive to Omaha and stay at your house and speak for three hours tomorrow. I wish I could, and but I can't. also hang out and yeah. have dinner. Well, how do you do that, Dr. Phil? Because I, obviously you had a, a phase in your career where all of a sudden you went from being a guy who was probably trying to get his message out, trying to be seen. All of a sudden, everyone wants you. You go from being someone who has to say yes to everything to someone who's getting every opportunity. You can't say yes to everything. Was there ever points where you had burnout and said, I'm doing too much? And what did you do with that? You know, I hit different phases. There was a time when I was in private practice and I told Robin, if I ever get to the point where I really don't have a passion for this, because I think there's different kinds of currency. And I think you got to really pay attention to what your currency is. Like if you do things for money, which is not bad, but there's financial currency, there's social currency, there's spiritual currency, there's emotional currency, there's social currency, there's all kinds of currency. And I said, if I ever get to where I'm doing this and I'm not passionate about it, I will walk away. One Christmas we were on break and we went down to the office and I opened up the book for January and I started thumbing through it and there wasn't a 15 minute window for like six months. And I'm like, oh my God. And that should be great news, right? It looked like six months of root canals. And I, oh God, <laughs> I said, this is that day. I got to do it. And I quit. I stopped. Then I was in a completely different profession in litigation consulting. And I got to that day after about 15 years where I said, I just don't want to do this anymore. When I get to that day where I'm not excited every day I wake up, then I don't do it anymore. I go and do something else. Mm. And if I'm not passionate about it, I can't do it. Yeah. I don't have to do it, so I don't. And I'm really still passionate about what I'm doing now. And if I get to that point, I won't do it. Yeah. I can't. It's like running underwater. You just can't do it. And it becomes I, work. We wouldn't want you to do it. Like as a, as a fan of of artists and and speakers, when I find out someone's sick on stage or they're going through something and they didn't really want to be there, Eric Church, he wants to go to the NCAA championship and he's canceling his shows. I'm like, go, because I don't want you to be thinking about that basketball game you'd rather be at. I want my entertainers to enjoy it. And I think that's another reason why I like to be so honest is that if I do, if I am doing a show and I'm not with it, or I just found out my aunt died, I can go, my aunt just died and I'm not feeling good. And my audience isn't going to go, what is this? They expect that honesty from me. And it's, it makes it so I'm able to just share the whole truth. But, and it's also why I bring my best friends out on the road because I know that I, the company I keep is really going to keep me in the kind of the, the, 
I have to enjoy it. You know, I have to enjoy this work. And like you said, I'm lucky enough to be in a financial position where I get to make things that are I, I can I can switch it up if I if I if I want to. Yeah, let me tell you, my viewers, if I do a show that I don't really want to do, yeah. Like the producers are like, hey, come on, you got to do this. And nah, I don't want to. Yeah, you do. No, I don't. Yeah, I do. They always <laughs> win. I mean, Hollywood supposedly people surrounded by a bunch of sycophant yes men. I can't find anybody who doesn't argue with me. I don't have any yes men around <laughs> me. They all argue with me and give me shit. <laughs> and if I wind up doing a show that I don't really want to do, man, my viewers, you go to the message, but he didn't want to do that. <gasps> he was not into that. He yeah. didn't want to do it. He gave it his all. He leaned into sure. it, but he really, they know. They know because you're honest. I mean, you're not going to maybe straight up say it out of courtesy to whatever you're doing, but like, yeah, they can tell. And thank God for that. Uh, that's, those are really, that's how you make great fans who are there for you during those times and uh, who can kind of read you like a good friend could. They pay so much. I, I've walked yeah. over before and washed my hands and left my wedding ring by the sink and yeah. they bring it to me at the end of the first segment and the message board, he didn't have his wedding ring on the first segment. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. <laughs> I was washing my hands and forgot it. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. They, um, they know you and it's, it, it does feel good. Sometimes, you know, they get it wrong and you feel totally, uh, you know, I, I that's another struggle. It's just like people's opinions of you if they don't like you and how vocal they can be. And I've, I've just done, Oh, you know, I haven't read a, a YouTube comment about myself since 2010. That's good. That's good. I really am good about it because that is, I don't have TikTok on my phone. I know when things are like, this ain't good for me. Yeah. And I remove it. Um, it's only going to bring me, you know, a, yeah. a lot of pain. I've read some mean tweets on Jimmy Kimmel where they he said, oh, I read God, mean I don't even like watching you guys do that because I go, this is going to ruin his day. No, it doesn't. I love one that said, why don't you shut up, you bald-headed hillbilly? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they just cut so hard. I had one that said, I would rather have Dr. Pepper operate on my, than take advice from Dr. Phil. <laughs> Sometimes they're pretty. I mean, somebody's writing for that guy. I don't know. Yes, yes. Is. Sometimes these guys, I'm like, wait, can you write for me? I know. Some of these trolls really nail it. And sometimes they know you so well uh, they, you know, they can find out your character. F like I've had a couple, you know, on my podcast, I do it every day. It's called the Nikki Glazer podcast. I do it in my apartment. It's with my best friend, Andrew, who was my roommate for a while. I can be a grumpy kind of, you know, bitch some days. And I, I'm faced with my fans going, you weren't very nice to Andrew today. And I go, ah, you're right. Like I've had to see some sides of myself that, um, are painful to, to see, but it's made me a better person. I, I'm really, I just really try to uh, keep it as real as I can. Um, I don't wear hair extensions. I went through a period during COVID where my hair was falling out and I was going insane comparing myself to girls on TV. And then I realized I do TV. I know the tricks. Everyone wears hair extensions. Dr. Phil's got some in right now. God, I wish. <laughs> it just was like, and so I go, you know what? I'm not wearing them ever again because I want to just... I, you know, first of all, I just want to be okay with my, but then I also wear fake eyelashes and I spray tan myself. So it's all an illusion, but I'm honest about that stuff. I'm honest if I have fillers and I have, you know, Botox because I'm tired of uh, like thinking that JLo just use a topical cream that I can't, that I could get on the, the, the shelf at, you know, 
it's Estee Lauder. It's like, no, these people are not telling you the whole truth. Stop comparing yourself to them. Yeah, there's a Mm -hmm. lot more goes into that than meets the Mm -hmm. eye. Mm -hmm. So if you hadn't done this, if you had never gotten on stage, never gotten on television, what do you think you'd be doing in your life? Uh, uh, Therapist. A psychiatrist, some something to do with helping people, listening to people. Um, I really am into psychiatry and why we and and social just anthropology, just why we do the things we do. And um, I think it would have led me to that. I think I would have started as a teacher and realized that that is not cut out for me. I need I that's sometimes such a thankless job. And I'm I love to, my sister's a teacher, and I don't know how they do it. Um, but I think I. Yeah, I think I probably would have gotten into to um, yeah. I I sometimes think about going back for my master's just so I can have some sort of because the more my stand up becomes more and more about like self helpy and uh, uh, kind of you know I I I don't want to always just make fun of everything and make fun of myself. I want people to leave shows laughing, but also being like, oh, I kind of like have a solution for that thing that. I struggle with because she made it funny, but also she offered me a tool. Um, and I'd like to have some credentials to back that up when I get, when I get on my soapbox a little too much. But you can make people think many oh, a truth yeah. is spoken jest. There's a lot of truth in humor. You can make people go home and really think with some of the stuff you say. Yes. Particularly with your authentic kind of humor. Thank you. I mean, you really yeah. can make people think. You can give people a little cheat sheet for life. Thank you. I'm trying. Um, it would have, uh, you know, just doing what would have really helped me at certain stages in my life, uh, motivated by just wanting uh, people to be less depressed and anxious and all of those things that I just know are just such awful places to be. And you feel so just like you'd know, you'll never get out of them. And I've been there and um I just, yeah, I, I, I feel like that's like my duty and, and also to make it, to make it funny. And so that's a, adds an extra layer of difficulty to it. But yeah. comedy is always my first thing. <laughs> I'd said to somebody not long ago that when I was in private practice, I was the worst marital therapist you've ever seen in your life because <laughs> I, I had no patience for him. I mean, they would come in <laughs> and I would listen to him talk and I said, my God, I've known you people for five minutes. I can't stand either one of you. <laughs> You deserve each other. And it's like, I can sit here and listen to you for six months, or I can just tell you right now, you're an asshole, and <laughs> you're insufferable. I love that. So people would say, God, you're so straight with these people, you'll never build a practice. And that's not true. I did, because people wanted to know. They wanted to have somebody tell them the truth. But yes. one of the things that really impacted me is I had so many people that would come and see me that discovered that they were depressed and they never knew they were depressed until they weren't. They had spent their whole life being depressed and they never knew they were depressed until they were no longer depressed. They just thought that's how people lived. It's just fish and water. You don't know. And, And a lot of times people in relationships, they don't know until they see inside someone else's relationship like, Oh wait, that you know when you're a kid and you're you you just you think every home is like your home. And you go visit your friends and you're like, wait, their parents like talk to each other and love each other. Like, what is the like? You only that's so interesting. I think that that um, I'm I'm interested in the couple. I'm just started going to couples counseling with my ex boyfriend before we decided to get back together. I said 
I want to go to couples. We never did it before. He's never really been to therapy, was not really open to it. And I said, I can't be with you unless we go because we keep getting in these same patterns. And he goes, we're going to go to couples therapy before we're a couple. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, doesn't that mean we're just broken? And I go, no. And I'd use the best analogy to get him into therapy ever. I go, okay, well, you know, so you think we should just know what to do automatically. And if, if we were meant to be, it would just be natural. And he's like, yeah, kind of. I go, well, then why do you go to a trainer? There's weights and you have muscles. Just do it. Just like, why don't you just do it? And he was like, God, you're good. He goes, fine, I'll go. Like that, he goes, I can't argue with that. Like, I go, we're going to see someone who might have tools that we never thought about. Oh, straighten your back. Stick your butt out when you do a lunge. Like there are things that are just, you know, that we didn't go to school for. And man, is it the greatest thing that ever happened to us. And we don't go all the time. We just go when we need a tune-up. Yeah. And... It's it's the only reason we can be together. I'm so grateful for it. Yeah, sometimes it's just getting a different perspective too. Having somebody say, "Hey, did you think about this? Did you think about that?" Because it's not what happens in a relationship that gets people upset. It's violating your expectation of what's oh. supposed to happen in a relationship. That's what gets you upset. Oh God, that's so good. Expectations being, uh, you know, future resentments. And letting go of those. And really, for me, it was just empathy. I mean, I was just, I was having sympathy for how he felt, but, and he would repeat his experience so much. And I go, I know that's how you felt. And he goes, you don't know. Really, imagine you're me, the man who's dating a girl, you. And I'm like, okay, now in your, when I'm you, that does feel shitty. And you're right. But when I was you, but I was still me, and I was just on the other side of the room, but I was still me, I was still right. It takes, it. empathy is something I really was not taught and uh, didn't have expressed to me growing up in kind of a, a, a little bit of an alcoholic home. It's just something that you don't know that you're not getting and that you think you have, but it's quite different than, than what I thought I was, what I thought I was doing. It's very different. Yeah, there's so much that goes on that's not obvious. It's not commonsensical. I do a lot of work with law enforcement, and I was just doing some work with some national law enforcement, and I was thinking about negotiation. When you're doing like hostage negotiations, people don't realize this, but you're never going to get somebody that's holding hostages for any reason to give up their hostages until they believe that you understand why they took those hostages to begin with. It doesn't matter. You're not going to get them to see your point of view until they understand that you get why they did it. They'll never give them up. Not one time in 50 years until they believe you understand why they did it to begin with. You're so right, because when I'm in a any time, let's say the hostages in this situation are my boyfriend apologizing to me or us making up is like the hostages being freed. I will never get that resolution to an argument unless I repeat back to him exactly how he felt, honor it, make him feel completely understood that I get what that felt like to him. And as soon as I do everything resolved. The hostages get released. That is the ticket. That's so interesting. Yeah. And if a woman, if her husband's cheated on her, she will never forgive him until she hears him tell her, I know how that made you feel. 
And this is how that made you feel. Until she hears that, till she knows he gets it, she'll never forgive him. Ugh. I, 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 this is, what a shortcut. What a complicated thing to do to be able to reiterate to someone their feelings in a way that feels substantial enough. But that truly is it. That is the secret yeah. to uh, a, a, any conflict resolution. That's why I say I don't think problems are simple at all. Infidelity is complex. Why did you do it? What was your motive? What was wrong? But the solutions to healing some of these things can be very, very simple. It's really giving words to your empathy. You just got to know. And sometimes if you don't go get help, you can't figure that out. You're too close to it. And you just got to be open to the idea that you might be wrong. Yeah. You can always, that's the thing that I really had to, you can't let any of this in until you go, you shouldn't go to therapy if you're like, I just can't wait for her to tell him what he, why, how he's fucking up because I know I'm right. I've been that girl before who thinks I'm doing everything right. You got to be open that you might have something to do with this. Yeah, maybe. You can always find <laughs> anything. You, you can always find what you could have done slightly differently. And that also I found is such a good tool to walk into an argument where you know you're right to start out saying, here's what I could have done differently. And it opens... That person just, yeah, that's another difficult thing is finding the one little thing, you know, even though you were the one that was wronged. Um, yeah, that's that's nice to hear. Yeah, that's why your comedy lands so well. It's authentic. It's real. Thank you, Dr. Phil. Listen, congratulations on all your success. I mean, you got to be. You. Really, you got to be proud of the stuff that you got cooking. You got more stuff going on. <laughs> and I want to remind everybody that you do have a daily podcast, the Nikki Glazer podcast. I want yep. everybody to know about that. Mm -hmm. You're on a nationwide comedy tour right now, One Night with Nikki Glazer. And you've got your own series on E! called Welcome Home, Nikki Glazer, which premieres May 1st on E! What time is it on at 9 or 10? At 9. The Kardashians' old spot, so yeah, <laughs> big shoes to fill. Not a bad yeah. spot to be. No. And, uh, so that's May 1st yeah. at 9 o'clock. So, I mean, you got more stuff going than you can shake a stick at. So I know. I'm busy. Congratulations on all of your success. Thank you. I'm going to put all of this stuff on the website so everybody can find it. And if she's coming through your town, go see her. You will laugh till it hurts and you'll learn something while you're doing it, yes. even by mistake. Thank you so much, Dr. Phil. And I, and I also implore anyone who wants to go to a show alone. A lot of times people don't go to comedy shows, concerts, because they can't find someone to go with them and they're too embarrassed. If you go to my show alone and have the bravery to do that and be cool enough to be like, I want to go, I will, if you write me on Instagram and write going alone in all caps and tell me what show in your name, I will give you a free meet and greet uh, which is usually like 50 to 100 bucks because you had the bravery to like not need a friend. And uh, so I want to extend that to people because I think it's very cool to go to things alone. Oh, that's really cool. I'm glad you're doing that. And I bet you people take you up on that. They do because people are scared to go alone. You got to incentivize it. And then when, once they do, I think they're eager to go do more things alone because it sucks when you bring a friend to a show that you got to talk into. And then the whole time you're worried about them having fun, like just go alone and just be, make a friend, make another friend that's alone. You both like the same thing. You know, it's a good place to meet people. So, yeah. and they're there with you. Yeah. I'll be your friend. You'll meet me after the show and I'll give you a hug and we can take a picture and I will sincerely be your friend. Yeah. And she will. I'm telling you, I, I know her. She will. So uh -huh. Nikki, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Dr. Phil. I appreciate you so much. All right. I'll see you soon. Okay. See you soon. Okay. Bye. bye. Dr. Phil.